Stupid son of a bitch. Knocked itself cold. Cold my ass. He's dead. We killed him. We killed it. Fuck you! Hey, guys. What's going on? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen. I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. What we've got here is... Failure to communicate. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. Whatever appears emerges as raw experience for those who watch it. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. Welcome to the Sword Cinema Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Murphy. Joining me is Ricky D. Today we're going to be discussing 1990s Tremors, a creature feature about a group of carnivorous worms that attacks a southwestern town called Perfection. Uh, the movie is directed by Ron Underwood and written by S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock. Here's a clip from Tremors. Perfection, a scorched outpost in the middle of nowhere. You know how close I am to leaving this place right now? How close? Maybe that's why Val and Earl decided to leave town. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hold up. That's Edgar Deans. They just picked the wrong day to do it. Jeez. You guys better get the hell out of here. There's a killer on the loose. Who could be doing it? Is that a snake? I'll give you boy five dollars for this. Twenty. how they get you. They're under the ground. What the hell are those things? How could they eat a whole station wagon? But where do they come from? I vote for outer space. No way these are local boys. You see, they're hated right for us. No Richter scale can measure it. They're coming! No scientist can explain it. Bert, they're under the ground! Penetration, even with the gun. Run, run! And no one knows what to call it. Megaworms or suckers or, or suckoids. Now, this valley is just one long smorgasbord. Now, it's up to Val and Earl to save the world. That's one big mother. Who died and made you Einstein? And they know just what to do. Flip for it. Damn. Kevin Bacon. Fred Ward. Tremors. That was a clip from Tremors. Uh, like I said, it's a movie about monster worms attacking people, eating them, pulling them from the ground. Uh, so the film basically follows uh, a group of characters. There's 14 people that live in a small town, a, sort of a dying town, almost a ghost town in the southwest uh, called Perfection. And uh, it mostly revolves around two handymen played by Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward uh, as they their plans to leave town and start a new life are sort of uh, made more complicated by the presence of these worms that are killing all of their friends and blocking people from leaving town. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of plot to Tremors, and I think that's one of the good things about it, but uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. 
Yeah, so Patrick, I have a really complicated history with Tremors, which I'm going to talk about a little later on. But the first question we always ask on this podcast is, why did you choose the movie? So each week, one of us chooses the movie. This week, it was your turn. Now, clearly, we're going to spend the next like 45 to 60 minutes talking about what we like about the movie. But what is your elevator pitch? Why did you choose Tremors? Well, all right. So I have an affinity for monster movies. And I think you kind of know that. I think I've brought that up many, many times. Um, I love there's something about low budget, cheesy sci fi channel, you know, or 1950s, 60s drive in movie theater monster movies that I kind of like. And I think I know what it is I like about them. And it's that kind of Ed Wood spirit of filmmaking. And I think the the Within monster movies, you can see the real dreamers of, of movie makers. And I love that. You see this this different kind of passion. Horror has always been kind of a genre for filmmakers to sort of um, get their feet into the industry because it can be made fairly cheaply. And, you know, there are conventions that people can stick to and it just helps make it easier to connect with audiences. But I think within horror, I think monster movies are where you find the dreamer filmmakers, the ones who are going for even more. They come up with fantastic ideas. Many of them don't work at all, but the passion is there up on screen. And like I say, it's in kind of that Ed Wood, you know, Plan 9 from Outer Space thing. They just they, they want to make a movie and they have this great idea and a lot of times they reach for the stars and they don't quite make it. What I think Tremors is is the paragon of cheesy B-movie creature features. I think it is what every creature feature wants to be. I think it's what every sci-fi channel monster movie has aspired to be. I think it has – it kind of resurrected that drive-in monster movie um, genre – you know, in 1990 that had been around in, you know, in the fifties and sixties and even the seventies that had sort of died off a little bit um, or at least as far as the mainstream went and it tried to bring it back into the mainstream. And I love it for that. And I think that it it basically is what a lot of people look at. I've written a screenplay that I, that I kind of based on tremors that sort of that, that style and its efficiency and everything like that. So yeah, I, I hold it up as a high standard of what a cheesy low budget B movie can be when you've got the right script and the right talent behind the camera and in front of the camera it to, to make it really, really sing. I, th- I just think it's a great, great monster movie. It's funny. Cause I couldn't help but think of your screenplay while watching tremors again. <laughs> Um, I'm so glad you said that because I was watching this interview with Lulu Wang, who's the director of the movie Farewell. The movie did pretty good in 2019. I think it's nominated for like a few awards, maybe an Oscar. But anyways, she was explaining in the interview how she was ready to give up filmmaking because as a filmmaker, she realized that nobody really wanted to hear her voice. Nobody really wanted to like have her stories told. There was always, uh, every time she would approach a producer, there would always be a request to change something in the screenplay. And so she realized that in being an aspiring filmmaker and trying to make these movies, she would always have to compromise and she would never really do what she wanted to do. So she would never really get the chance to make the sort of movie she wants to make. Now, Lulu Wang is a sort of filmmaker that makes artsy dramas, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing is with the horror genre, and in this case, like a B movie and a monster movie, usually the people that make these movies, 
they know exactly what it is that they want and what the filmmakers are trying to do. And there's really no compromise save for maybe limitations on the budget, right? But they won't stop you from reaching your creative vision. Because usually people that work in the industry and make these monster movies, these B-movies, these horror films, these cult films, these sci-fi movies, they're like fans of the genre. And mm -hmm. that is why I love horror films so much. I've tried to explain this to people so many times throughout the years who don't like horror films. And they're like, I don't understand why you like horror films so much. I'm like, because you can feel the passion in every frame for most of these movies. Now, granted, there's tons of horror films that get released per year and made each and every month that are not good movies. That is because the filmmakers just don't have the talent. But you can still feel their passion right and mm -hmm. i think the thing about tremors is it's the sort of movie in which all the right people came together at all the right time to make the right movie at the right time like if you replace fred ward in this movie and or you replace kevin bacon it might not have worked it might not have worked as well if you had replaced the director or not given the screenplay writers a lot of say when making the movie, bringing them on set and asking for their feedback, it might not be as good of a movie. It's a bunch of people who collaborated and they all brought their A-game and they ended up making this movie that shouldn't have been a hit. And it was a hit. When the movie was released in 1990, it was made for $17 million. $11 million. Sorry, you're right. It was made for $11 yeah. million. It grossed just under 17 million at the box office which is not a lot but let's face it you know four to five million dollars is still four to five million dollars the thing about tremors it's one of those movies that found a second life on home video because of vhs people like me were able to see tremors for the first time because i didn't go see it theatrically and that is where i sort of like found my love for this movie i discovered tremors when I was a kid, going to the video store to rent movies, and I rented it based solely on the cover and Kevin Bacon. And it's one of those movies that's like a true cult film. And we don't have true cult movies anymore because everything's changed. The industry's changed. Now you have like streaming services and video on demand and internet piracy. And so everyone has access to a movie right away. Like a, a horror film can be released in the movie theater today and also released on video on demand or a streaming service like Netflix at the exact same time, right? And so it's mm -hmm. like the thing about true cult films, they are movies that didn't necessarily do well when they were released, but over time, they developed a beloved cult following. The last movie I can think of that I consider a true cult film is Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko was a movie that got released theatrically. Nobody saw it. And then it got released on DVD and VHS. And then within like a year or two, it picked up a huge cult following. And now it's like one of the most beloved films of the 2000s. Tremors is one of those movies that is a true cult classic. Yeah, definitely. And it made, it, I think it doubled its box office receipts just from rentals. So it really was a massive hit on video. Um, and it's pretty easy to see why. I think they made a lot of smart choices uh, in the making of this movie. They get that you always have luck when it comes, some luck when it comes to getting the right cast and, you know, bringing all that talent together. But they also did some very smart things. Uh, they, for one, and maybe you you could maybe you have a different opinion on this, but I think it was a great idea to keep the movie PG thirteen. It was originally 
got an R rating due to language, and they decided to cut out the language in order to go for a PG-13 rating. And I think that's a that played a big part in letting in having this movie be more accessible to a larger audience because I think kids really are what made this a cult film, or and teenagers and and you know younger people essentially I think is what really really got into this because Kevin Bacon was kind of a teen idol at the time, sort of a, a low grade teen idol. I don't want to de- <laughs> degrade Kevin Bacon at all, but. He was, you know, he had been in Footloose and uh, he had been in Diner. And of course, you know, some people might remember him from Animal House. He wasn't a major star, but he was kind of a mini star. And it, because of Footloose, it was he was more of a teen kind of star, I think. And it was really, really wise for them to let younger you know, kids see this this film and, and keep it PG-13. I think that was a very smart thing. They also just happened to get the right executive producer in Gale Ann Hurd, who, who of course worked with J- James Cameron on the Terminator movies and aliens and the abyss. Um, so she was able to recommend a good special effects team and that special effects team, th- their work plays a huge part in making this movie really entertaining because the monster, they really, really sell the monster really well in tremors. And that's so important for any creature feature. That goes back to what I was saying, right? So, like, I was shocked when I learned that they actually got the green light for this movie in less than 24 hours. So they pitched it to a movie producer who totally understood what it is they wanted to do and had no qualms about the fact that they're making this monster movie about these giant worms that eat people in a small town in the middle of the Nevada desert. You know what I mean? Like, nowadays, you try to... I mean, Martin Scorsese couldn't get The Irishman made for nine years because no one would give him funding. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, like, would, would this sort of movie get made? Like, I, there are studios, like a studio like A24, for example, is the type of movie studio that would greenlight a project like Tremors. But that's because the people that work at A24, they love these sort of movies. And again goes back to what I said earlier and how we started this podcast. That is what I love about these B-movies, these monster movies, these horror films, because you get a sense that they didn't compromise. Like, if there's any limitations, it's because there was technical limitations. They couldn't do specific special effects for the time, 1990, and or it's because they just didn't have a big budget. But hey, if you want to give me $11 million to make a monster movie, I will do it. No problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, the thing the thing that, I, that the thing that stood out the most for me watching this film, again, for the third time, and I wrote a little piece about the movie over at Goombastomp.com, it's the screenplay. I didn't realize how good the screenplay is. And then I realized that the two screenplay writers, S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock, also penned two of my favorite 80s sci-fi movies, Short Circuit (laughs) and Batteries Not Included. I love Short Circuit and I love Batteries Not Included. So it all made sense. Like these guys already had prior experience writing big Hollywood sci-fi horror films. And here they are writing a screenplay for Tremors, which has like a really tight script in the sense that like this, this, this movie is, as I wrote in my article, this movie is lean and mean, and there's not an ounce of fat to be found anywhere. Every scene, every action, every story beat, every line of dialogue, it sets up a chain of events 
there is a reason for everything to happen, a reason for everyone to react the way they react. And it just zooms by. Like, if I'm not mistaken, this movie is roughly 90 minutes. Nowadays, yep. filmmakers can't make a movie in under three hours. <laughs> And have this many characters who all who for the most part all come across as pretty distinct people, even if they have minimal amounts of dialogue. They all come across like like the 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 shop owner Chang. He doesn't have who is played again by by a great uh, veteran kind of actor. And you point this out. Victor Wong plays him. He's from Big Big Trouble in Little China. Um, you know, in several other eighties movies. But he barely has any lines of dialogue, and you, you know exactly what kind of person this guy is. Uh, you know, just the the bratty kid, the teenager. He's a, he's kind of a jerk. Barely has any lines. Yet you know exactly what kind of person he is. Uh, they're very very efficient in in their screenplay. You can tell they knew exactly what they wanted to do, and they kept focused on that instead of going off on tangents. Everything is uh, like you said. Everything kind of pays off. What I was so impressed on watching it again and kind of really looking at it as opposed to just watching it was how. They set things up early on and they make sure that it pays off and so that even things that are kind of dumb or even small moments. There there was a, a, a moment where it, during the beginning where they're setting up some, a barbed wire fence and, you know, there's a funny little moment where Kevin Bacon hits the tries to hit this nail eight times or whatever and, and misses it every time. And Fed Ward gives him a, a strange look. But setting up that barbed wire fence, there is a small little callback to it later when they're running away from one of these creatures and they can now use that barbed wire fence as a visual to tell you where the monster is as all the posts get knocked down and the barbed wire gets gets uh, you know scattered or whatever as they're running away from this thing. Little smart decisions like that that, that visually cue the audience in, hey, we're building a, a barbed wire fence. Now 20 minutes later, that barbed wire fence is going to be destroyed. Um, or even you know Fred Ward falling out of the back of the truck uh, in his sleeping bag. That that to me was a, I had never noticed that before. I, do you remember the the opening scene? Yeah, when Bacon yeah, basically Fred, wakes him up by scaring. Yeah, him. and he and he by saying there's going to be a stampede, right? And so uh, he falls out of the back of the truck in his sleeping bag, which is a brown sleeping bag that kind of resembles one of the worms when you think about it. Yeah, he and looks way, like a worm in the sleeping yeah. bag, for sure. And the way he falls out mimics the very end of the movie when Kevin Bacon says, I just remembered the stampede thing and how they got the worm to fall off the cliff. Visually, they kind of rhyme in a way. And it's little things like that that I think there are. this script is loaded with them. It's so efficient in conveying its information that, uh, that you can just sit back and enjoy the ride as opposed to having to suss out a bunch of plot lines it's Chekhov's gun but there's no gun it's just replaced with a sleeping bag um the plot like and i wrote this in my article the plot isn't complex but that is what i like about it like the simplicity of tremors is what makes the movie work well i like how it takes place in the middle of the nevada desert in a small town like you said called perfection with a population of only 14 people So Mm -hmm. what this means is these are the 14 people that you are going to see in the movie. And because they've limited the number of people that live in a small town, it's easy to focus on all of these people, even if they don't have dialogue or much dialogue or they're like secondary characters or not even. They're just sort of like props. (laughs) But it doesn't matter because every character works and every character serves a purpose. It's either... They are there to help 
come up with a plan to destroy these killer worms and or they're the characters included in the film because they are part of a sequence in which we're going to create a lot of tension and suspense and maybe have like a kill sequence um but like the thing is like the thing about the town is it's the perfect setting for a monster movie because it's so isolated uh, there's like one road that you could take to get in and out of the town the openness of the desert landscape enhances the isolation of it all, right? And so since the town is so far removed from society, you know nobody's going to come and save them. Like, you know, how many times do you watch a horror film or any movie and towards like the last 20 minutes, all of a sudden you hear the sirens and a police show up and the army shows up and the firemen show up and and or someone comes to save the day like this isn't that kind of movie like it's up to these people to figure out how to kill these giant killer worms and they have to overcome their odds and towards the end of the film they can't actually kill the giant worms with say using like weapons like an elephant gun they have to out clever the worms and that's where it ties into that very first scene the opening scene of the movie and the mention of the stampede and that that is how kevin bacon finally figures out a way to kill the big big baddie the big giant worm the biggest of the bunch and that to me is good screenplay writing yeah i every like you said not an ounce of fat on this thing everything kind of pays off and i know like in your article i read your article and and you point out the, the pole vaulting scene montage might be the only um little bit of fat on there but at least they make mention of it again so if they if they had just done the pole vaulting where they pull vault for rocks to rock to rock to avoid stepping on the ground uh if they had just done that and never referenced it again i absolutely I, and you could still make a case that it's a little bit maybe they could trim that a little bit um but they do reference it again the next time that they're stuck on the rocks when kevin bacon says we're not going to be able to pole vault our way out of this one at least they mention it so it everything that they do feels like there are consequences to it and, and they remember things that's that's what's great about these these characters they're written as people who actually remember what came before and are thinking ahead and of course plans is like a big a big theme of this movie you know whether or not you've got to the future planned out um, they're constantly referencing that about how certain characters have no plans and other characters are doing well because they have plans and and the, the, they reference how the monsters plan sometimes and things like that. And that's why the monsters are, are beating them is because the monsters have a plan. Um, yeah, but it, at, at least they reference the pole vaulting thing. And I, I, everything is like that in this. Everything makes sense within this world um, because they have characters who, who are acknowledging the world around them and they're acknowledging past events. So they, you know, the, for the pogo stick. Like, it's great how the pogo stick is set up and then later pays off in a nice little tense scene. Um, yeah, every, there's just so many little elements like that. The pogo stick is one of my favorite scenes. Um, speaking of which, so clearly Tremors takes inspiration from movies from like the 60s and the 50s, those classic B-monster movies. But it owes a lot to Steven Spielberg because much like Jaws, Tremors takes place in this open space. Like, like I mean, Jaws takes place in amity amity island it's it's basically off the yeah off of new york and and, and in new jersey and it's east east coast island yeah a good chunk of the movie takes place in the small town kind of similar mm -hmm. to tremors but then towards the end of the film like the climax it takes place in the open sea 
And mm. here you have Tremors, which takes place in the middle of the desert. There is a small town, and the worms, like the shark, travel underground. In the I mean, shark Bruce, the shark from Jaws, travels underwater. But in this case, the worms travel underground. And so, like Jaws, Tremors doesn't really show the monsters at the start of the film. They slowly, gradually build to the big reveal. And I like the idea of having these monsters that you can't see for the majority of the film. Like, Jaws, to me, is a quintessential B-movie. It is, like, one of my favorite movies of all time. I love it. I think it's Steven Spielberg's best movie. And so mm -hmm. the fact that Tremors just takes inspiration from Jaws to the point where the original title of the movie was Land Sharks. Right. Um, so, there's, so there's no <laughs> question about it. They clearly want to... Like, I mean, if you watch the making of DVD documentary... The uh, screenplay writer talks about how he came up with the concept for Tremors. He was out in the desert working for the army, and he was just sitting there on one of the rocks, and, was just, and just like came up with this concept about these, the some sort of like enemy or monster that would come from underground. But I'm sure while writing the movie, they they couldn't not help but think of Steven Spielberg's Jaws. That said, like this is a B movie, I think, and it's funny, and yet it creates a lot of suspense, and there is a bit of gore. But I think that the monsters, like the actual creature design, like these worms are menacing. Like they're actually scary. And that has a lot to do with, of course, the special effects wizards who worked on movies like Alien and Terminator. And I think maybe Dune, I'm not sure. So they had experience working with guys like James Cameron and Ridley Scott. And there was actually a team of like 50, 50 special effects wizards who worked on Tremors. And so they did a really good job with the creature design, which is really important because, like, I mean, let's face it, this is a monster movie, right? But I yes. like I like how the creature is also blind. And unlike Bruce, the shark from Jaws, these creatures are unable to track the scent of their prey. Basically, they have to rely on their hearing and vibrations. But that's what's cool about it because any movement, any sudden movement... Any sound can cost you your life. And I'm going to talk about my favorite scene later, but in that scene, you really get to understand how they can uh, create suspense and build the tension with the simple concept that the creatures can't really see or smell, but they can hear, and that's all they need in order to hunt you down and kill you. Yeah, it's a very clever device that I like a lot. And if you're trying to write a monster movie, this is something to take inspiration from these little devices that basically set up a, a ground rules for the audience to understand this is how the monster hunts you. So the audience will intrinsically know when the characters are in danger. Are you walking on the ground? You're in danger. Uh, does, you know, a, a, a freezer, a vibrating, rumbling old freezer suddenly kick in? Uh, the characters are in danger, you know, um, there's all sorts of anything that happens like that also allows them to create, you know, create plans. They can exploit this this device. So if they need to distract the monsters, they can send the the riding lawnmower out into the desert and the monsters will go follow it or they can throw rocks to find out where the monsters are. It gives them so much flexibility to not only be under attack and be in danger, but also to be proactive and to think their way out of this thing because they can sort of use that strength that the monsters have against them at times. It's very, very clever. And it's, it's one of the best done that I've seen. And there are movies like quiet place 
that, that try to do similar things, but they take it a little too far and they don't really understand their own rules. I think this one's this one keeps it very simple and very, very understandable. And they never they never go too far with it. So anytime a character is walking on the ground, they are in danger and they stick to those rules. And they raise the stakes because about 45 minutes into the film, the characters realize that the giant worms are now learning. And so mm -hmm. they are learning the environment and understanding what it is that they are trying to do to survive. And so these giant worms actually are intelligent creatures, which is even scarier. Um, so again, it's a credit to the creature design. Like, uh, uh, I can't say enough about the the mix of old school prosthetics, animatronics, and the computer generated imagery by this team of special effects wizards who didn't have a huge budget to work with and yet somehow found a way to create some of the best monsters of the 1990s. And the thing about Tremors is that this movie came out in 1990. You, like, if you didn't know that this movie was, came out in 1990, you would probably guess it was early 90s because it still has a touch of like the 80s feel to it. Part of it feels like a bit... 80s and the rest of it feels like a 90s sort of like cult classic uh but make no mistake about it like the creatures are menacing like they are freaky and so the first time i saw tremors the reason why i like this movie so much was because of the camera work so i always talk about this on the podcast i'm, I'm so glad you brought that up yeah i'm cool. the type of person where i Sort of like the first thing I notice in a movie is the way the director tells the story visually. It's all about the visuals for me. I'm okay with having a so-so screenplay. I just want to see what you could do as a director and your cinematographer, etc., etc. The thing about the camera is I love the way it moves, especially when you have the point of view shot of the creatures when they are hunting the prey. It reminds me a lot of Jaws. It reminds me a lot of like the original Evil Dead. But the Evil camera Dead, yeah. work is amazing. Like absolutely brilliant the dollies the the crane shots so many crane shots and i love the crane shots how the camera will move up and then look down it'd be very easy in a movie like this because the monsters are coming from underneath you to constantly do low angles but the director ron underwood goes for a lot of high angle stuff where he's looking down at the ground and i think i think it does a couple of things because you mentioned how wide open the space is and things can get lost in that sometimes visually if you're constantly uh, referencing. If you have this massive backdrop all the time, your characters and your action can get lost in all the detail that's going on in the background. And I think he wisely uses these crane shots to pivot the camera from the backdrop down straight at the earth. And so he's constantly focused down on the ground it's a, it's a great thing, and it allows people to just sort of focus on what the characters are doing and for you to just be to, – to understand that something is coming from below their feet. I, I, I love all the crane shots. I love the zooms that he uses constantly, and again, I think that that's to sort of narrow he, – he brings it in from a wide shot to a much, much narrower focus on a character's face in order to make sure that things don't get lost in that epic kind of Western backdrop. That is what I addressed in my article, because the thing about Tremors, again, going back to the town, the town of perfection, 
It's in the middle of the desert. So the way he frames the movies, he never lets you forget that these people are in the middle of the desert. Nobody's going to come save them. And it shows how isolated these people are. But then the way he moves his camera is he draws you back into the action. So he lets you see this open space. And then he will sort of narrow our... Um, our frame of view. Our, our he, frame he narrows of view. the frames that you can't see as much anymore. Which you have to do, especially in the moments in which the creatures are attacking people, because that is when you're trying to create some suspense. And also, like, I mean, we have to give credit to his cinematographer, whose name I can't pronounce. I think it's Alexander Guzhensky. He does an amazing job because they had to shoot this movie in the middle of the desert in the middle of the daytime and it's really hard to set up your lighting also they are making a creature feature so like usually creature features are shot at nighttime and they take advantage of the night to create these like sequences in which they're trying to like heighten the level of suspense and tension because and to nighttime. hide the effects and, and to, to hide, hide the, the effects. effects of the monsters <laughs> yeah and in this case they couldn't because they're shooting in the middle of the daytime. When I was watching the making of documentary, they were talking about how at one point they had to actually stop shooting in the middle of the day because it was too hot for the crew and the equipment and their clothes was sort of like melting. <laughs> so they had to start shooting in the middle of the night, but it doesn't matter if it's the middle of the night because you're in the middle of the desert. So you're still getting all of that sunlight coming in. The thing about Tremors is the first time I saw Tremors, it was way back in like 1990, 1991. I'm not entirely sure when, I did not see it in the movie theater. I saw it on home video. I rented it at the video store, and I remember walking away, my friends and I, loving the movie. The problem is, we had this friend. He wasn't even a friend. He was an acquaintance. He was like a friend of a friend who would just always like tag along, and he was really annoying. And so we watched the movie, and we met up at the basketball court, and we're talking about Tremors, and I'm talking about how much I like the movie. And then I bring up the comparisons to Steven Spielberg's Jaws. And this kid goes on this big rant about how Jaws is a terrible movie, it moves slow, it's boring, it's long, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And he would not shut up about how better of a movie Tremors is. Now, the thing is, I'm open to people having a different opinion, but this guy was so annoying about Tremors. Every time we saw this guy throughout the whole entire summer and anytime we talked about movies, this guy would always bring up Tremors. He's like, oh, yeah, is it better than Tremors? Because it's way better than Jaws. He was just <laughs> such an annoying kid. So I sort of like resented the movie because of him. Like I resented him because he just wouldn't uh, drop it. Right. So anyhow, fast forward a few years later, well, a few years later, years later, and I was working at Movieland Video. Now, Movieland Video is the greatest video store that ever opened in Canada. It no longer exists, but it was it was an independent video store. I worked there for several years. We had uh, when I left, we had thirty five thousand plus individual titles on DVD. That doesn't include the VHS collection. It, it had the biggest collection of movies in all of Canada, possibly all of North America. We had movies you couldn't find anywhere. But the point is, I used to purposely work graveyard shifts. And the reason why is because not a lot of customers would come in between, say, 12.30 and 4 a.m., which is when we close. And so I had a lot of time to sit back and watch movies. I was working with this coworker, Hugo. Super nice guy. But he used to drive me nuts because... 
he was just such a slow worker. So I would end up doing all of the work because what I would do is I would get my work out of the way by 12.30, 12.45 so I can sit back, relax for the rest of the shift and watch at least two movies. Because, you know, like a few customers would come in, you might get interrupted, but for the majority of the rest of the shift, you get to sit back and watch movies. So this guy was so slow and Tremors was one of his favorite movies. And so every time he put on Tremors, forget about being slow, he just wouldn't work. He would just sit there with his jaw dropped wide open, <laughs> staring at the screen because he loved Tremors. And so then I had this thing where I just resented the movie because I'm like, every time this guy puts on the movie, like he just forget about him being a slow worker. He just wouldn't work. So I got to the point where whenever I was working with Hugo, I would actually rent out the movie, but it wasn't actually rented. <laughs> <laughs> I would just Bad go associations with tremors. Yeah, oh. I would go. I would go hide the DVD and just rent it in someone's account. You know, like do a free rental, so clearly I wouldn't get charged and we wouldn't be short on cash. But it wasn't really rented. I swear to God. And then it gets worse. So then later, uh, I remembered that I actually have the DVD of Tremors, and I remember now how I came to buy the DVD of Tremors. So. I was at Walmart with my ex, and there was one of those uh, bins. It was like movies for yep, sale. The bargain bin. The bargain bins. And so Tremors was on sale. I think it was like $4 with tax, which was like a steal, right? So I picked up the DVD for Tremors, went home. We watched a movie, and my ex hated the movie, which therefore resulted in us getting to this like huge debate. And this was the first time in my life that I was able to watch Tremors, like sit down and watch Tremors from start to finish and actually enjoy the movie without someone ruining the experience. For me. <laughs> Which is like, this should not be that controversial controversial of a movie. It, it really is. A, uh, it's a very, very simple tale just told really well. And there's nothing overly... I don't know, em emotional about it. And I think we'll get into, you know, maybe uh, a little of this later if we're talking about things that we might change and stuff like that. But, you know, there's there's a bare bones romance that honestly could have just been tossed out altogether. This really is about just kind of a, a couple of guys, the friendship of a couple of guys and then fighting worms. There's really there shouldn't be a whole lot of debate over, you know, <laughs> whether it's whether it's amazing or whether it's it's, you know, crap. It definitely has, doesn't have the complexity of Jaws. You know, Jaws is is more of a story, um, and has more, and definitely has richer characters than this one. This is a B, a B movie in the truest sense of the word. Uh, where Jaws, I think you're right; it's the quintessential B movie, but it's elevated to the A grade, right? By amazing direction and a fantastic script. This is a definitely a B movie. It is also elevated, but never beyond being just an amazing B movie. Um, yeah, I, I think that's funny. For me, Tremors was, uh, well, my dad had a fondness for late night monster movies, and that is how I was turned on to movies like Evil Dead and, you know, Tremors and Chopper Chicks from Zombie Town and all these things that would play on HBO late night. My dad would wake my older brother and I up. Uh, you know, my mom is a nurse and she worked nights. And so he, he would wake us up and take us downstairs and say, you got to see this. And Tremors was one of those movies. Uh, that 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 happened with. So I've always had a fondness for it for that, and I think that actually th those nights contribute to my love of monster movies and of horror movies. You know, seeing Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, and and uh, you know, none of my friends had seen any of these movies because they weren't getting woken up at two in the morning by their dads. Um, yeah. So uh, 
to me, it's it's just to, I've always found it to be a lovable movie. And when you talk about it comparing with Jaws, I just want to mention really quick a couple of things. Um, one, it has that same you know a lot of people Jaws is a horror movie, but it also has kind of a, an adventure movie aspect to it, especially in the third act when they're out in the open ocean and you know and, the, and John Williams' score starts to get a little little more adventurous. Well, Tremors has that same kind of tone at times where it's you know it's the brave heroes setting out to fight the monsters and and the the score is kind of upbeat in that sense um it also has a couple of throwbacks to jaws what's like almost direct references when uh chang gets eaten and it's it he he's getting pulled into the mouth and the mouth starts wagging its head very similar to the way the shark when it, when it was eating quint in jaws how it sort of yanked him back and forth and back and forth uh, I, I feel like that is a direct Jaws like kind of reference. Uh, right before it gets, it pulls him into the ground. It wags its head back and forth, stuff like that. And of course, you know, just the way they follow the worms with little uh, uh, poofs of dust, and just all the little things that they do, the creative ways that they show you where the worms are underground, uh, just so they don't have to actually show the worms. Uh, very cool stuff that that is that is kind of like how Steven Spielberg managed to show you where the shark was, came up with clever ideas uh, without having to show the shark. Yeah. If you are uh, an aspiring filmmaker, if you want to be a filmmaker, if you're young, if you've never seen tremors and, or if you've seen tremors, I recommend watching the making of documentary, which you can find on YouTube because it really gives you insight on how they went about making these effects and showing off the creatures without really showing off the creatures and doing it with a small budget, but also using household tools that anyone can really use. If you get a little creative and are crafty, you can actually pull off some really great effects. All right, so we're, we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about Tremors. But uh, first, let's play another clip. We don't see anything, Val. So what the hell are you talking about? Over. Bert, they're under the ground. They're under the ground. That was another clip from Tremors. We are back. And, uh, you know, at the end of this podcast, we we like to ask a few questions, sort of point out some of the standout moments from a movie, maybe pick some things that we might change. Anyway, we, we, we ask each other some questions about this movie and and see what uh, what we can come up with. So, all right. The, the first question that we normally have, Rick, is uh, your favorite scene. What was your favorite scene from Tremors? This is tough. And I want to mention a scene, but I think you're going to choose it. So I'm actually going to pick the scene in which Kevin Bacon runs out. He's trying to save the day. He tricks Fred Ward after after they do the rock, paper, scissors. Sort of like mm-hmm. who's going to go and save the day type thing. And Kevin Bacon runs into the desert. And then the creatures pick up on the vibrations and his movement. And they surround them. 
and he has to stand almost completely still. Like he can't really make any sudden movements. And the creatures are surrounding him and are so close to actually touching him. And I, I thought that that was the scene that created like the most suspense. And it was probably the best directed sequence of the entire film. I, I just love that sequence. It's it Again, it's really simple, right? Like the thing about this movie is that it's sort of like simple, but yet they can take a simple concept and find ways to 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 make it something better than it really should be because it's a very simple scene but to me it just like it's so effective yeah that's sort of the director really uh, really did his work there because there isn't really much to that scene it, it, it's not the, as if it's written in any sort of complicated way although it's very clever the way the whole setup is and the situation that the character's in where they're all on their roofs and they're trying to to get to this um uh, like a cat basically a construction vehicle a treaded construction vehicle and, uh, you know, they want to use that to, to haul themselves out. That it's it's just a very basic thing. Like, hey, we're stuck on the roof. One of us is going to – we're going to distract these things, and one of us is going to run out there. It's the director that really makes that – turns that into a, uh, a very tense scene. It's, it's similar to Alien, but it's different because, again, it's out in the open desert. He's in the middle of the desert. He's surrounded by these creatures. You get these open shots. It's bright daylight. And yet they found a way to sort of like heighten the tension in that sequence. Uh, for me, uh, my favorite scene, I'm not necessarily going to go for probably the most cinematic scene, but it's the one that I still get the most pleasure out of watching. And maybe we'll see if this is the one that you thought I was going to pick. There are two characters uh, that are, to me, hilarious, especially because of who one of them is played by. They are survivalists and they basically, they live out there. They, they, they have a ton of, guns and they they have a bunker they make their own ammunition they're they're basically out there because you know they've packed food and water away and they just they want to be off on their own um and the one of the worms breaks into their house and they proceed to unload every single gun that they have in the house onto these worms in just kind of a madcap scene that combines it's it's one of the few interior shots because there are not a lot of interiors in this movie it's it's almost exclusively outside which is an amazing thing uh outside in the daylight which we sort of talked about that's that's an amazing thing for a horror movie very different but this is an interior shot but it still combines a lot of the effects it shows so, so much of the creativity uh that the that the filmmakers had because it's a blend of a studio uh with cuts to the exterior shots of the other characters sort of watching and hearing this happen as the gun blasts go off. But also it uses miniatures. So even a nice little swish pan includes, uh, goes, pans straight from a, from a, a like a, a, a full size shot to a miniature worm, but they blend it so well that it, it it's kind of, it's almost seamless. Uh, and it works perfectly. I just think that it sort of encapsulates all the creativity that they had in this and kind of their sense of fun as well. Because Tremors is, it does have its very tense moments and it has its, its horror movie moments for sure. But it also has a sense of humor and it kind of walks that tightrope pretty well, I think. Uh, and this to me, this scene sort of shows all of that off because there is a horror element to it, especially at first. But there are also little comic bits such as when... You, you know, the characters are firing their guns, and I think you wrote, you might have actually written about this, where they're almost about to run out of ammunition, and then the camera pans back to reveal a whole wall full of more guns. Just little comic moments like that, I think, sort of encapsulate what Tremors is all about. It's got the horror, it's got its, its bit of action, but it also knows what it is, and it's having a little bit of fun doing it. 
Yeah, it's my second favorite scene in the movie. Like, a lot of people would point it out as the favorite, but I really do like the other scene. But I love Reba McIntyre and Michael Gross in this movie. They, they're they just so good and have such great chemistry playing this gun-crazy married couple who have more ammunition than a small <laughs> army in, in their bunker. Like, it's just insane. But I, I do love the whip pan. You know, a lot of people have written about it. And... Um, it's it's interesting because like they didn't necessarily want her to be in the movie because like their first time filmmaker, first time director, and he's making this movie and the producer calls him up and he's like, yeah, I'm going to send this country singer away. Can you cast her in a movie? And he's like petrified because he's like, she's never acted in a movie before. I don't want to be one of those first time filmmakers who gets stuck with someone who's a really bad actress but has to cast her in a movie just because the producers want it. And it just... It just worked out in in the best way possible because she's perfect for the role. I mean, Michael Gross is so good in this movie. That is why he's in every single sequel because Kevin Bacon wouldn't come back to do the sequel, the second movie. But Michael Gross would come back to do as many sequels as they would want him to do. And there's been four. Well, there's been three sequels and one prequel plus a TV show. Right. The last one came out in 2018, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. It was, uh, oh, I can't remember what it was called, but it, <laughs> there are, I remember Aftershocks, I think was the, the sequel. Um, yeah, there, there are a few of them. It, it's kind of, one of the things about Michael Gross too, in playing this character as a product of its time, which I granted a lot of people listening to this may not, you know, they, they, they might be younger than us, <laughs> but Michael Gross was on a sitcom called family ties so and this was a big sitcom back then. it starred michael j fox um and he plays such a pacifist uh character on that show he's the dad and he's just a very gentle you know sensitive pacifist dad to see him playing this gun gun crazy violent like take charge kind of guy it was just it, it just added more to the the sort of the sense of fun in all of this and to see that he was so good at it, it, it for me it's always funny because you know I always loved him as the dad on Family Ties and um, I love him as this as well it showed he had, you know he was a decent actor that could do more things um, but it, it's a great little bit of comic casting I would say it reminds me of Brian Cranston who was in the show Malcolm in the Middle and that was a sitcom a comedy and it was all played for laughs and then you fast forward like a decade later and he stars in AMC's Breaking Bad has Walter White, a completely different character, but yet there's so many similarities, but it just shows how a lot of these characters have such a wide range. You can't pigeonhole them into one specific genre. They can do it all. And the same applies to Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward. Like, Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward are known for more of their dramatic roles, not necessarily taking on uh, a lead in a comedy. But Kevin Bacon does a really good job in this movie, and I think it's because of the chemistry between those two actors. Val and Earl are two of the most beloved characters of the 90s when it comes to movies. I, I, I think you're right. And that kind of leads in... All right, that leads into... Maybe you'll maybe you'll pick this, but our, uh, our second question is, who is the MVP of this movie? Who or what, I should say. I don't want to pick Ron Underwood, no offense, because this is his first and best movie. I'm not a big fan of his work. Although he does a pretty decent job because now he's like a go-to TV director and he works on like big shows like Fear of the Walking Dead and Once Upon a Time, etc., etc. But if you watch his later movies, they're nowhere near as good as Tremors. I think Tremors just had the perfect cast and a great crew, great cinematographer, great editor, you know, etc., etc., 
I think the thing is, though, is that no matter how good the creature design is, no matter how good the set design is, the soundtrack, the score, whatever, this is a movie that relies on its eccentric cast of characters. Like, it's a movie that comes to life because of its characters. But I can't choose one. That's the problem. Like, it's got to be Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward Ward. sharing the award. Because, and I wrote this in the article, like, if you replace Fred Ward with anyone else at the time, it might not have worked or worked as well. And you could say the same for Kevin Bacon. If you had replaced Kevin Bacon with someone else, maybe they that person wouldn't have the same chemistry with Fred Ward. It was the perfect matching, like the perfect couple for this movie, these two dudes. So I have to give it to Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward because they carry the movie on their shoulders. They do. They do. I, I'm in total agreement with you that it is those two and the colorful rest of the cast as well. I would give it to the cast, but for the sake of, of little variety, I'll pick something else here. I'll go with my second choice. And it, it does come down to between Ron Underwood's direction, which I think is fantastic in this movie for the most part, at least his camera work for sure. Um, and, but I think I'm going to give the slight edge because one of the big draws for me, and one of the reasons that, that, uh, that I can kind of sink into to tremors very easy is the production design. I love the town of perfection, which they built from scratch. Uh, that whole town is a set. And to me, there's something about it. It feels so, it has just the right personality set against that particular backdrop. Like the the whole location that they found and the way they constructed that town sort of around the market. And you've got these rundown houses sort of around there and some trailer, you know, trailers scattered about too. But it does feel very junky. And yet almost functional, even though that's ridiculous because there's no gas station or or anything else around. But it almost feels like there is a little bit of a community there. And you understand the layout of the town really well, which comes in handy later on when they're up on the roof rooftops um, and trying to avoid these things. You sort of you you get the idea, the sense of where everybody is when the kid is in that shed and, you know, you've got the mom and her daughter up on their roof and everybody else is up above Chang's and Rhonda is on this little water tower. I love the way I kind of understand the way this town works and they, they do a good job setting it up early in the movie. But I have to give credit to the production designer for for creating and you know I love westerns, and there's just something very western about this uh, that that also just draws me in visually. So I'm with you that the cast is number one, but but I will give my number two to the production designer. Yeah. So the tricky thing when trying to decide who the MVP is, like for example, you mentioned a great camera work, and that's like the first time I watched Tremors, that is what caught my attention because I'm all about visuals and camera work and cinematography, and I was just like, wow, camera work is amazing. But who do you credit? Is it the director? Was it storyboarded? Was it the cinematographer? Like you never know because sometimes some filmmakers storyboard all of their shots and it's frame by frame exactly the way it is in a storyboard so everything's pre-planned and some filmmakers go on set and they do not storyboard anything when i was making short films i would never storyboard for two reasons number one i thought it was time consuming it's already in my head i know what i want so i don't want to spend like hours drawing number two i don't draw well and number three i don't I, i want that freedom of being able to just like experiment and and think of ideas on the fly so it's like I would have picked the camera work, the cinematographer, but I don't know who to give credit to. See mm-hmm. what I'm saying here? Yep. 
That's kind of why I avoided it as well. I'm not sure whether I mean I, I imagine that 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 Ron Underwood uh, probably had mo- more of the decision when it came to the angles and the camera movement, and of course the cinematographer is the one that's lighting the scenes, which they did very well for all these being uh, exteriors. They did a very good job of blending everything in together uh, really well. But you know, obviously the framing and the lighting is going to go to the cinematographer. That's usually the roles, but you just never know who came up with that stuff. But again, I feel like. Uh, that town was so important. It's almost a character. The, the setting of, of in Tremors is almost a character in and of itself. And I'm including the location in this as well, because obviously they had to pick that location. So, but yeah, I, I, I'm that town to me plays a, a massive role in this. Uh, Cause it just looks so not authentic. It's almost comic bookish in a way. It's, it's a cross between looking very authentic. Although I, I have a hard time believing people could live in, in a town like that, but, um, without getting constant deliveries, you know, where's your food coming from and, and, and everything, your gasoline. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it really has a lot of character. And so I think it's a, it's a major part. So really characters are the big thing of this and it's, it's the cast and the town, which I think those are your characters right, right there. Um, those are the MVPs of tremors, even though I think the direction is really, really good um, for the most part. All right. So that being said, if there was only one thing that you could change about Tremors, what would it be? Okay, this is tough. Because, okay, it's not really tough. So the thing is, I was going to mention the soundtrack. And I wrote this in my article because I was doing some research. There's like two or three times throughout the film. And it's it's at the, it's at the start of the film and at the end of the movie. In which I really just don't like the music. Like, I hate the music. But in doing research, I learned that what happened was they had this composer, Ernest Troust, who was doing the musical score, and they didn't really like the score because it just didn't work with the action set. It just didn't work with the action scenes, and it didn't help create suspense and yada, yada, yada. And so they actually hired a composer named Robert Folk to write a new score. So I wouldn't change it because the producers already changed it. What they did was they hired, they fired this guy and they hired Robert Folk to create a brand new score, but they ended up just keeping two of his songs in the movie for whatever reason. What I'm going to say is I'm going to, I'm going to pinpoint the pole vaulting scene and I'll tell you why it's not (laughs) because there's a problem with the writing of the scene. Like the fact that they actually come up with this really clever way of, of pole vaulting from from one rock to the next rock in order to avoid the monsters that's kind of like really clever it's just the fact that it's filmed like a montage that you would see in a cheesy 80s film and there are moments in this film that are are cheesy like you know at the end everyone like jumps for joy it's like hooray we killed the monsters you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. and but so and it's weird because like that sequence it's so bizarre because they're running from one of the giant killer worms that is chasing them and they come up with this clever concept to pole vault and for some odd reason the director decides to cut to a far shot and have this pole vaulting montage sequence was just so bizarre and i thought they could have really like filmed that in a way where it felt a little bit more suspenseful and not cheesy. So if I would not, yes. I wouldn't remove. I wouldn't remove it. It's not about. It's about the execution. Hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, what you just said at the end there—that's exactly what I was thinking. So it's not the pole vaulting in and of itself. It's the way he shoots the pole vaulting that removes any and all tension from it, because he just there's 
you know that nothing's going to happen because he's shooting it from such a distance. There's no danger. And that is supposed to be a scene where they're in danger. And the whole reason they're pole vaulting is to avoid that danger. But he shoots it from so far away that you're like, well, obviously nothing's going to happen to them because we're back, you know, 300 feet from them. And, and we're just seeing their little silhouettes against the, the sky pole vaulting. Like, okay, I, I guess, you know, whatever. Now I can just wait to see what happens next. Um, that that was, yeah, you're right. That That was probably the worst choice that the director made on this movie i would say um as 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 for shooting that all right so mine is going to be um i think this is this is one of those movies where you didn't need a romance and i would kill the romance part of it i'm i like ronda as a character she's although she's probably the the least developed and least interesting of the so and so-called main characters uh, if you want to call them that or at least the secondary main characters um, but I, I would have, she's fine being there. I, li- I like having her there. She's the scientist character. She can sort of explain things. Although there's a great line, um, where, you know, they ask her a question. She she says to Kevin Bacon, why do you keep asking me? <laughs> because she doesn't know anything about these monsters. Nobody does. Um, but I would have killed the romance. I think that the, the kiss scene at the end, totally unnecessary. The movie, the original script had a completely different ending. Uh, and you know you can see it on that making of documentary that you've you've talked about uh, where they're just sort of driving off. They're finally going to Bixby, where you know they've been planning to do that, leaving this town behind them, which they've been planning to do since the beginning. And um, you know it's it's about Bert and Val, and that or sorry not Bert, uh, Earl and Val. It's about Earl and Val, and it didn't need some sort of build up to a kiss that doesn't work anyway, because those two characters, Rhonda and Val never had any chemistry to begin with. There's a little bit of awkward flirting, which is fine, but they never ever built any kind of rapport. And there's like this deep pantsing scene that is just kind of unnecessary in the middle of the movie, which was clearly designed just to get the woman in her underwear. And I, I would say just for no other reason than that, because pretty soon she's got pants and shoes on again. And it's like, okay, well, what was the purpose of that? There wasn't any purpose in that. Um, and they don't even exploit that for any kind of sexual tension. Well, I mean, a little bit when he's like patching up her wounds and stuff, but not really. The best moment from that is just Earl watching them. I mean, they're never interesting as a couple. It's Earl's reaction to them. That's always the more interesting part. But, uh, yeah, that's what I would cut out. I would cut out the romance and just let them be characters in this movie and not have to have this sort of forced, like happy ending. Now, the studio wanted the the kiss at the end because I guess test audiences were, were demanding it. But honestly, it would have been a better movie without that because that isn't some sort of triumphant moment. I never really cared about Val getting into a relationship with her. I cared more about Val and Earl finally getting out of town. That's the initial premise. That's what needs to pay off. The romance thing never mattered. Yeah, no, no one talks about val and Rhonda, it's val and earl and and yeah. the thing is it's like it's like you said like it's not just it, it was in the original script not not the romance but the original script does not end that way but they actually filmed like the original ending in the movie there's no kiss at the end nope. they, they had th- this is why i hate i hate i hate when they have a test viewing and i've gone to some of these test viewings and it's bs like so basically i don't know if you've ever done it you show up you have like the filmmaker, usually the director, whoever, not the cast, right? Mm-hmm. And they have like twelve random people. And, and I went to a few of these because when I was at Dawson College, our our uh, professor used to invite us. 
And so 12 random people who might not have any interest whatsoever in the genre, maybe not even an interest in filmmaking, and they sit down and they watch a movie that's always not finished. Like it's an unfinished product. Usually they have a soundtrack from a different movie. The the effects aren't, aren't done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They sit down, they watch a movie, and then they ask for feedback. And it's so stupid because like, are you really going to rely on the feedback of like 12 people, 12 random people, and then go and change your movie? Like it's so, so stupid. Uh, I'm ranting here, but yeah, I would have I would have chosen that. But the thing is, is that it really it's really at the end where you get the kiss and the movie's like over. So you know what I mean? So it's like whereas the pole vaulting sequence is in the middle of the movie and it deflates the tension. So that's why I chose that scene. But I agree, uh, the romance just does not work whatsoever. No, not at all. But luckily, like you said, it's a small uh, a small part of it, and it's just a little nit essentially. Like, I feel like the movie could have had a little more triumphant, satisfying ending. Uh, but it's 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 just fine, obviously, with the explosion. You could just sort of ignore the kiss, and whatever their romance is, just sort of puppy love anyway. Um, Alright, so that... Here's, here's obviously the big question, the last two big questions, really. First of all, do you think that Tremor stands the test of time, despite your negative associations with it in the past? <laughs> So this is a tricky question. So does it stand a test of time? Like, so here's the thing. So when someone asks me if a movie stands the test of time, I always sort of want to know what their definition is of that. And what I mean by that is like, there are movies that are a product of their time, mm-hmm. but you can still watch it 20, 30, 40, 50 years later and still as a time enjoy capsule. as a yeah. time capsule. And then there are movies that are dated. The, the weird thing about Tremors is I can't, really answer the question because i think you need to really ask someone who's younger and i'm not i'm not talking about like a 15 year old maybe actually maybe you can ask a 15 year old but like between the age of 15 to 25 like uh, a teenager to like a 25 year old film student i don't know because the thing is a lot of people that i know that love tremors they grew up with tremors they watched tremors like in 1990 at the movie theater or on home videos one of the early like b movies they watched and they fell in love with it and they had like the sentimental attachment to the film. I don't have that, right? Mm-hmm. And so the thing about Tremors is that what's weird about it is like I said, there are moments where it feels like a cheesy 80s film, like the pole vaulting scene, like the scene at the end when they're all jumping for joy because they killed the monsters. And yet it feels like a 90s movie. Now that makes sense because it came out at the start of the new decade. But I think there is specific scenes that that are dated. And I think the soundtrack at the beginning and end of the movie doesn't help. I do think it stands a test of time if this is your thing. Like, if you like monster movies, just like I can watch, like, The Blob, which was released in 1954, and still enjoy that movie, but there's there's things about it that are dated. So it, it's, it's one of those ones where I, I would say yes, but it comes with an asterisk, right? So it's like, yes, the movie stands a test of time, but future generations might look at specific scenes and it will pull them out of the movie. And so from start to finish, the answer is no. But I think it's I think it's a, a well-made movie and it's it's entertaining and I think it can still captivate an audience and, and an audience can engage in the movie like nowadays, 20, 20, 30 years later. It's so yeah, I guess I guess yes is the answer. I guess I'm rambling here, but yeah. Uh I, I think unequivocally for me. Now, again, I do like these movies, but I, I try to, you know, sort of... And, and, of course, if you don't like monster movies, Tremors probably isn't your bag anyway. 
But I think it absolutely stands the test of the time because of how simple they kept it and because of the practical effects, the use of practical effects. Obviously, what dates most movies that are made now are the terrible CGI effects that they have in monster movies. They will not be very watchable 30, 40 years from now. But Tremors practical effects, while they can sort of occasionally look semi-clunky, they do a good job of never letting you uh, focus on them too long. They cut pretty quickly when the monster is on screen. And they also, they're practical, so they are believable in that moment. So they don't ever take you, I don't think that the effects ever take you out. And the characters are so broadly drawn, and but, but still at the same time very crisp, um, that anybody can easily relate to these people. They're, 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 not, they're not what I would call cookie-cutter characters, um, but they are sort of archetypes of certain characters that you might run across in a small town. Uh, with some little weird quirks, too. So I think there's enough there that's that's interesting in the writing. I think they kept it very, very simple. I think it's shot great, and it looks pretty clean still. There are some some things that can sort of date it. But there are, you know, Casablanca is dated, but it stands the test of time. <laughs> I mean, it looks dated, and the acting style is a little bit different. But I think, yeah, I think Tremors is, it still stands to me as one of the great monster movies not because it, it, it's epic in any way, but because of how well executed it is. It's it's what a monster movie wants. It's what monster movies that I you know that I've really enjoyed over the years, like Dog Soldiers. You know, where you just take a simple premise and you just execute it really well, or The Descent, which are from the same guy. Um, to me, Tremors is one of those. It's a it's a it's a great fun monster movie that I think. 30 years from now will still be a great fun monster movie because they didn't overextend themselves in any way that will make it come crashing down. It's still a pretty simple movie and it's still going to look just fine. It's going to look just as good as it did. You know, it's not like it's got stop motion or anything like that. Um, Oh no, it looks great. I mean, like you compare it to the sequels. I mean, they made a sequel or prequel like two years ago, you know, Mm -hmm. and this movie is so much better than what came after, even if the sequel was made like 28 years later. But the thing is, like, yeah, it looks great and everything. I think, like, the, I'm just wondering if a new audience would react differently to the characters, like, you know, like the boy Melvin, for example, or, uh, you know, like, they don't really know who Kevin Bacon is. And it's just like, I, I don't know how you, a younger generation would react to it. And I don't know. You know what's great about that, too, is that they didn't set it in pop culture. So they set it in a town that's out in the middle of nowhere. And your most of your generation, they have no idea what it would be like growing up there. So you you'll be it's a lot easier to buy characters when you have no understanding of where they're coming from. You know, I didn't grow up in a I don't live in a town of fourteen. So I don't really know how how that little that teenage kid would act and what his life would be like and, and how, you know, how annoying he would be <laughs> to everybody else around him. So I think it, it'll it it allows you to buy into that a little bit easier because of how remote the setting is. You can believe it a little bit more. Um, anyway, that's my hope. I think it'll stand the test of time. We'll see. It has stood the test of time probably longer than anybody who made that movie thought it would, including the producers of that movie who probably thought it was just a little throwaway monster movie that they wanted to make money on. And yet 30 years later, Tremors is still a thing. I feel like people still do bring up that movie, and that's a pretty... That's pretty special for a little a little low budget creature feature. Now, okay, that leads into the 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 basically our last question is: Is this a movie that you'll think you'll watch again? Is this a movie that you can that somebody could watch over and over again? 
Well, okay, so it's not one and done because I've watched it three times from start sure. to finish, plus the sure. multiple times working at the video store. I recommend this movie for anyone that likes creature features, horror films, you know, horror comedies especially. And I, I, I think that, yes, you, there's, there's enough reason to want to watch the movie again, but it's not sort of like similar to Parasite which we talked about last week in which when I watch Parasite over and over, I start noticing things I didn't notice prior. I, I think there's like, this movie is so simple, which is not a knock on it. I think that's the, that's what makes it so great um, that you can absorb the entire film, get everything out of it in one viewing. But I would still like, again, I watch it three times. So it's, it, 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 it is a movie you can watch over and over if only because it's fast. It moves fast, like at a brisk pace. It's like, I think a solid 90 minutes. It's one of those movies you can easily put on, watch with a, a bunch of friends, have a total blast. And, or if it's playing on TV, you know, you turn on, you're switching through channels and Tremors comes on, you have nothing to do. You can totally watch it and have a great time. So I, I say yes, for sure. You can watch it multiple times. Um, and, and again, like the last thing I'm going to say is, you know, you mentioned how they don't really throw in like pop culture references or references in general. Like, like you wouldn't necessarily know it's 1990 because the president is whoever, you know, or this football team won the Super Bowl, whatever. Mm-hmm. I hate it when TV shows or, or, or movies, when the screenplay writers, they write in all these pop culture references and gags. And like it like so like that means like five, ten years later, anyone watching wouldn't understand what these jokes are. Because they're, you know what I mean. It was something that happened at the time. I hate that. That that's an automatic way to make your film feel dated. Like if the kid would have made a reference to, you know, uh, a, a Nintendo game. Like say it was made now, and the kid made a reference to Fortnite. Well, Fortnite's probably not going to be a thing thirty years from now, and those people are probably going to have no idea what the hell he's talking about. Most people. So, yeah, it is a great job of avoiding all that. This is kind of like the land that time forgot in a way, <laughs> you know, and it, with these like prehistoric monsters perhaps but it, it is just simply this place that that is out in the middle of nowhere that is away from all of the world it is a fantasy land in many respects and i think that is uh, because it has sort of a fantasy vibe to it i think that's also why i i can watch this thing over and over again because it's just never gonna it, to me it's like comfort food right i i i, I actually watch it to learn from it in many respects because you know my own screenplays can get a little complicated and i like watching something like tremors to remind me to keep it simple stupid kind of thing um you know and there's the little bits like i actually did notice things or that that i that i hadn't necessarily before or at least it made me think about things that i that i hadn't thought about before like the little when the tongue things come out the tongue tentacles come out they kind of reminded me of uh dr octopus's arms in spider-man 2 because they sort of have little minds of their own <laughs> you know like when the, when the guy buries the pickaxe into the head of it one of them's it just it's kind of a throwaway shot they don't even really focus on it but one of them's kind of curling around trying to pull the pickaxe out of the out of its you know master's head <laughs> i don't know it's it's kind of funny watching those little things that they that they did the little details that they threw in um but it reminds me of just how good the screenplay is. I'm, of course, I'm watching it, you know, for different reasons than probably your average viewer would, because I'm looking for those screenwriting things. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's definitely a movie I'll, I'll watch again. I know I'll watch it again at some point. 
we got to wrap up, but I'm just going to say that whoever, I don't know if it's the, the, I don't know if it's the director, the cinematographer, the screenplay writers, everyone, but they clearly love spaghetti Westerns. There's so many shots in this movie and like also like the way the camera moves and the way it's framed that are lifted directly. And I don't know if it's intentional or unintentional, but from spaghetti Westerns, like uh, the shot, for example, when the man is completely buried in the sand, you just see his head sticking out. It's like a shot from Django. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. there's, there's like, there's a sequence that looks like, uh, Sergio Leone's, um, like in terms of like the way they frame it, uh, the good, bad and the ugly, uh, with like the cast in the background with the desert and you just see like the town, like the, like, you know, it's got that Western vibe. It, it, it takes inspiration from movies like Jaws and Alien. Um, the, there's so many reasons to watch this movie that I will end by saying, this is a sort of movie that they can use in film school to teach students how to write a tight script and how to go out and film a really effective, clever, um, you know, action, horror film, thriller, creature feature, what, what have you with a small budget. They should right. use this movie in film school. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, and I, I, it's one of those things that, that, that can tell you how to do a tight screenplay, which is what we have all too few of these days. All right, that should pretty much do it for our talk about Tremors, um, one of my favorite movies, monster movies of all time. Um, Rick, where can we find you online? So I'm doing a lot of writing over at Goombastomp.com, of course. Um, I handle the official Twitter account for Goombastomp. You can like us on Facebook. You can listen to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and, of course, over at the website, Goombastomp.com and or SortedCinema.com. Yeah, and please give us a rating on iTunes uh, if you feel like it. Leave a comment as well if you feel like it. That would be that would be great. We you know we're we're trying to to spread the word about uh, the new sorted cinema podcast as as much as possible. Uh, and if you enjoy hearing discussions like these, you know definitely definitely help us out. Uh, you can of course find me on Twitter at sorted cinema, uh, and of course on sorted cinema at goomanstop.com, Writing movie articles, definitely check out all of our movie coverage there. Uh, check out Rick's article on Tremors, which is very good. Um, we will be back next week with In the Mouth of Madness. That'll be another fun one. Um, all right, we will talk to you then. I think the first thing we got to do, see if old Stump is still out there. Can I borrow that shovel? Oh, yeah. have a home to go to? That's why Edgar never got down off that damn tower. I think I have an idea. You know, we're going to have to come up with some sort of plan. He's just going to wait us to death. Yeah, well, I was well, thinking... Why don't we just we make just... it run for it? We outran him yesterday. Run for it? Runner's not a plan. Now, runner's what you do when the plan fails. Valentine, you're not even trying to think of a plan. Well, it ain't like we got a hell of a lot of options. Always options. We just got to think of them, that's all. All right, well, why don't you start thinking? Well, why in the hell do I always have to do all the things? Who died and made you Einstein? You guys don't have a full vault! We just stay where it can't get us. Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life. End over in neither left nor to right. Straight through the heart of them righteous uprights. Drop kick me, Jesus, through the goalposts of life.
Make me, oh, make me, Lord, more than I am. Make me a piece in your master game plan. Free from the earthly tempestion below. I've got the will, Lord, if you got the toe. Drop kick me, Jesus, through the goalposts of life. End over.